today on Ag News Daily. Any sort of commodity. Um, and then what we do is we actually take that and then we have a behind the scenes ag- algorithm that then will match you with somebody who can actually provide that service. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday from the Egg News Daily Podcast. I'm Dawson Schmidt, joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, it's Tuesday, so it's not quite hump day, but how are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. I wish it was hump day because I'm already very tired this week. I don't know if I'm not getting enough sleep or what, but I got to say... I am pretty exhausted today, which sounds maybe a little pathetic considering I just work at home. But I don't know. I'm just ready for a good night's rest tonight. Well, I'm definitely with you there. But I guess the easiest way to probably get through it is just to jump right in. How about you say that? Yeah, I'll kick things off here just with a small update from USDA as a funding bill includes $7 billion in disaster aid. A fiscal 2022 funding bill for USDA and the FDA is headed to the full Senate Appropriations Committee. The bill, which was approved yesterday evening by the committee's agriculture subcommittee, includes about $7 billion in supplemental assistance for farmers who have been affected by drought and other natural disasters. The funding includes $6.28 billion for USDA's WIP Plus program to cover losses in 2020 and in 2021, and an additional $750 million targeted to livestock producer losses in 2021. USDA's Reconnect Broadband Grant Loan Program would get another $700 million. Altogether, the bill would provide $25.9 billion in total spending for the next fiscal year, a $2.46 billion increase from fiscal year 2021. The full Appropriations Committee will consider the bill on Wednesday, so maybe by tomorrow when we're recording, it might even be Thursday, actually, before we get something official from the Appropriations Committee, but that was just the first thing that was really on my radar today. Well, that was actually one of my things, but I do have another update from the USDA. So yesterday when we were talking to Naomi Bloom that we were kind of thinking that there's a lot of mixed signals on how this year's crops is going to look. And we're waiting on the USDA's release of the latest crop report. Well, now I have that. And let me say, there's some things that I thought were kind of surprising and what others thought were surprising, but kind of getting into it right here, we saw corn conditions uh, decrease down to 62% of the crop in good to excellent condition. That is down from 64% last week. Analysts only expected it to drop about 1%, but it also, but it ended up going a little bit farther than that. Uh, with soybeans, I myself expected them to drop as well as other people, but we actually saw an increase in soybean ratings go up to 60% in good to excellent condition. And that is up from 50%, 58% last week. Spring wheat conditions also ended, ended their losing streak as 10% of the crop is now seen in good to excellent condition compared to 9% last week. Uh, analysts also expected them to remain unchanged. USDA has also reported that 17% of the spring wheat crop is harvested, and that is up from 3% last week. Um, cotton conditions saw a decline after probably getting a little bit too much rain, but now they're left with 68 or 60% of the crop in good to excellent condition, down from 61% last week. 
Well, Dawson, I have some news coming out of Texas as J. Lee Parker was sentenced to 12 years in prison after selling about $44,000 worth of stolen cattle at auctions in Oklahoma and Arkansas. Parker was hired to care for 433 head of cattle by a Texas family that later discovered 83 of their head were missing. The Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association and Arkansas Department of Agriculture investigated and found that Parker had secretly sold the cattle at auction. And $44,000 is a lot of money. So I'm glad that that family is finding justice. And I got to say, I don't feel too sorry for Parker and spending the next 12 years in jail. I would probably echo that, Ashton. It seems like I, we talk about it a lot that a lot of things are going on in the cattle industry with, you know, as far as scandals, whether if it's stolen cattle or cattle that's not existing, yet you're getting millions of dollars going out. So definitely something that keeps occurring that we that we keep seeing that just probably is something that I would see, like to see less of. Yeah, I would also probably like to see a little bit less of that, Dawson. And I am sure that our nation's cattle producers feel the same way. But I just have one other story that I want to share today coming from Tyson, as the company says that it will require all U.S. office employees to be fully vaccinated by the beginning of October. Other employees, including employees of packing plants, must meet the same requirement by the beginning of November. The company notes that the November timeline is, quote, subject to ongoing discussions with locations represented by unions. All company leadership will face a tighter deadline and are required to be vaccinated by September 24th. According to Tyson, almost half of its U.S. workforce is vaccinated and coronavirus infection rates among team members remain low. Chief Medical Officer for Tyson Foods, Claudia Coquine, said the vaccine is the single most effective thing we can do to protect our team members, their families, and their communities. I think this is really the first, you know, big ag company that we've seen come out and, and really say something about their vaccinations. And especially as the, the Delta variant is beginning to be a little bit more rampant in certain areas. I think maybe JBS, um, when the vaccines started rolling out also, um, were, I don't know if they were requiring, I don't want to port, report on that, but they were setting up, I think, vaccination sites for their employees. So I am honestly not entirely shocked by this. I'm just wondering if there are going to be more big ag companies that are going to require vaccines as well. For sure. And another thing that I'm watching today is that the American Bakers Association is now coming up, coming out and urging the Biden administration to kind of pull back on some of its, some of its biofuel ambitions arguing that using fuel made for crops could raise the cost of donuts, bread, and other foods. This kind of comes as a surprising entrant with uh, the Bakers Association coming out and entering the debate on pretty much big oil and actually siding with big oil when it comes to biofuel mandates, um, which has for years opposed regulations requiring the fuels made from corn, soybeans, and other crops to be added to gasoline and diesel. Now, the group came out representing the grocer Kroger, as well as Krispy Kreme and Tasty Cake, telling Reuters that it met with the Environmental Protection Agency last week and urged, to, urged them to reduce blending mandates, particularly for biodiesels. 
The group said it also met with lawmakers involved in the issue to press its case. According to the group's president, he said the group held held meetings because its members are hearing from suppliers of soy and canola oil, staple ingredients which are staple ingredients in many foods that could run short of stocks by the end of the year as demand for the biofuels industry compounds already tight global supplies. The president came out saying that they're not trying to be alarmist, but they're still trying to sound the bell that this is becoming an issue, especially with the already tight supplies that we're kind of facing here going forward in the next growing season. The baked goods company want, wants the Biden administration to lower biodiesel blending mandates to to 2019 levels, or at least hold the line on any growth. Right now, it's also unclear that whether the demands will have any impact on the EPA's decision, but currently EPA is considering new biofuel volume requirements for the coming year under the nation's biofuel law. Nick Conger, the EPA spokesman, confirmed that the agency did meet with the Baker's Trade Group, but did not offer offer any details. So I'm really interested to see on where this ends up leading, if it'll come out to be you know, a little bit less demand for biofuels or if there's if the Biden administration will actually pull back on this as well. You know, Dawson, I saw a headline that was pertaining to that story, but I didn't look into it. So I'm glad that you stayed on top of that because I did think it was a little interesting. I wasn't too sure, you know, the details of that. So I'm glad that you brought that to our attention today. But I am all out of news today. So I'm ready to hop into the markets if you are. I am ready as well. And I tell you what, we're seeing a lot of red across the board today with uh, the grains, especially after the crop report went out, as well as some concern for demand over grains as well with recent cancellations and just not as many sales. But kind of getting into it right here for corn, the September contract closed eight and a quarter cents lower at 5.50 and a half. The December down seven and a half cents to close at 5.51 and three quarters. On to soybeans, the September closed 32 and a half cents at 13.23 and three quarters. The November down 33 and three quarter cents to close at 1319 and three quarters onto the wheat complex for Chicago. The September co- contract closed five cents lower at 724 and a half. The December down four and a half cents to close at 734 and three quarters onto the livestock. A lot of green across the stre- screen from benefiting from lower grain prices today, but live cattle right here with the October contract closing 87 and a half cents higher at 128. 15, the December up 45 cents to close at 133.20. On to feeder cattle, the September contract closed 55 cents higher at 162.52, and the October up 57.5 cents to close at 165.05. For lean hogs, the October contract closed at $1.87.5 to close at 91.37, the December up $1.37.5 to close at 84.25. To rounding out our markets here with the class three dairy milk futures, the September closed 22 cents lower to close at 15.93. With that, Ashton, let's get into our conversation that you had with Molly Woodruff of Farm Me. For this week on our Tech Tuesday episode, we are talking to the CEO of Farmy, Molly Woodruff. Molly, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So Molly, before we really get started talking about technology here, I want to know a little bit more about your background. 
Yep. So I can have a little bit of a unique background. I actually started my career in healthcare and then did a complete 180 and took some software development courses where I um, started working um, in business. And so I actually am a managing partner of a software solutioning company. And with my two other business partners, we came up with this idea of how could we help farmers And um, because we all have different agricultural backgrounds is what I would say. And so we knew that there was some sort of a need and we wanted to find a tech solution to help solve that. So um, back in March of 2020, we went out and did some market research and actually created the app Farmy together as well. So there's a little bit about me in a nutshell. Well, awesome, Molly. And I'm really excited to talk about Farmy. Uh, my co-host, Delaney, she actually sent me over a press release kind of introducing me to the company. So now I want to introduce a little bit more of the company with our audience. So from a 10,000 foot view, what is Farmy? So Farmy is an app that we created to help connect farmers with far- other farmers. So how I like to say, I think one of the easiest ways to say it is if you as a farmer are let's say doing hay and putting up hay um, but your equipment breaks down so say you're a baler you have a bearing going out and there's rain coming and you know your neighbor down the road and you have their contact information but they're probably baling their own hay at the same time or putting in their own crops but you don't know maybe somebody that's a few miles away that you could then put in a job request to say, hey, I need help with blah, whether that's baling, planting, harvesting, drivers to move crops or livestock or any sort of commodity. Um, And then what we do is we actually take that and then we have a behind the scenes algorithm that then will match you with somebody who can actually provide that service. So um, it's a real easy way to connect farmers with farmers to help them get the help that they need, whether that's advanced planning. So some uh, job requests that we have right now are people looking for CDL drivers for harvest to get the crops out of the field um, or in a more emergent need. So say, you know, you have a field and maybe it got sprayed with the wrong chemical, so it needs planted now. Um, type of need. And so who has a planter around me that can come do it now? So it kind of allows for the whole gamut. And I like that farmer to farmer bit. Why was that so important when constructing farming? So that was so important because um, really to, you're, you're trying to leverage that gap, I guess, of you know, in the olden days, they used to sit and go have coffee and know all the farmers around them. And now as technology advances, it's really how do you connect with the farmer down the road? Or if I buy farmland, how do I connect with the right people to get it custom planted and harvested and taken care of? Um, so it's really connecting the farmers who obviously own the ground with the right people who have the equipment that can provide it and how do you um, 
from an equipment perspective, you know, equipment costs are really high. And how do you leverage your equipment when it's just sitting there? So how do you get the most profit out of your equipment that you've just paid thousands and thousands of dollars for in order to maximize your profit? So I want to talk a little bit more about the prices of the app. How does how does that work? Is this just a free app that you download and then you pay, you know, specifically to that farmer that you're trying to connect with? How does that work? Yeah. So, um we're actually reevaluating our pricing model structure right now. Um initially, it was a subscription-based model and we're actually looking at going to more of a job by job accepted where the provider who's actually providing the service is the one who would pay. Um, it is free to download the app, and um, but right now it's a subscription base. So what I'm, I'm kind of getting at is we're reevaluating that based off of user feedback, if that makes sense. Um, but within the app, as far as paying for the services, we don't... Um, take like a cut of the price. And so with that, it allows for the farmers to be able to barter, trade, um, do crop shares, do splits. So the easiest way I can say that is if you bail a whole field of hay, some people like to just do a 50-50 split because maybe they have animals and livestock that they want to keep the hay for or sell it themselves versus paying all up front for the custom service. Um, so we allow for that or say, you know, you planted Joe's field down the road and he has cattle and he'd rather give you a beef for the work that you did. Um, it allows for that. So it's really um, based off of the job that you're just paying and it's going to be a set fee. Gotcha. And I want to talk a little bit more about navigating the app because you have, you know, the farmers that are looking for work and then you have providers who are, you know, the farmers that are providing the work. So what does the app look like? And can you just give us a little bit of information when it comes to navigating that app on if our audience decides to download it, what can they expect when they open it? Yeah. So when you open it, it really asks, um, we tried to streamline the process. So do you want to provide services or are you looking for somebody to provide services? One or the other. Um, and really goes the route of then filling out all of the needed details as far as like commodity type, what type of services you provide. Um, as a provider, you can list multiple services and just go in and keep adding. Um, as a farmer, it gives you a map that you would then ping where the actual field is. So that way, when you get matched with somebody who can provide, they can actually go scout out the field and be able to really evaluate. Um, and then there's a messaging center that actually connects the two of you so that you can actually figure out how you're going to work the payment system with it to accept the job and get accepted on each side from the farmer and the provider. So Molly, is this an app that is used across the United States in the ag sector, or is it just in you know specific pockets of the U.S.? Nope. So it can actually be utilized across the U.S. Um, I think last count, we were in 10 to 15 states already. 
Well, that is awesome. And I'm glad that you guys are, you know, taking feedback and kind of learning as you grow and being able to provide this to farmers, you know, for farmers. Um, if our audience wants to reach out to you or learn a little bit more about Farmy, where can they go to do so? Yep. So they can always visit our website, which is www.farmy.com. Or you can always send in requests or e- emails to info at farmy.com and we'll respond. And then on our website as well, we also have a customer service line. So if they want to call in, that's a way to get connected with us as well. Awesome. Well, Molly, thank you once more for coming on and chatting with us today. Definitely some exciting things going on over at Farmy. Yeah, thank you so much for your time and for having us. Thanks again there to Molly for coming on and chatting about Farmy with me today. It's a woman-owned company. It's her and another woman named Cindy that kind of developed it. So I think it's always nice to talk to those people because as a woman in agriculture, of course, I like having those conversations with other women in agriculture. I don't blame you, Ashton. It seems like there's really push to get more people involved in the industry. And it's just something I like to see as well as far as, you know, getting more perspectives that actually benefit the industry as a whole. Absolutely, Dawson. And we're always having really great conversations with individuals who are working towards benefiting the industry. So folks, you can always tune in at adnewsdaily.com or wherever you find your podcasts. With that, Dawson, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.